Have you ever had the thought, when I'm in charge, that'll be different? (laughs) I thought so, and you're not alone. This is often the topic on the podcast. Whether the guests are sharing their learning moments, their called to lead situations, or I'm sharing something I just can't keep to myself, we're in it for the leadership, for those calling forth moments and teachings that are so good we just have to talk about them. I'm Karen Gillen, life coach for business leaders and your host. Let's get to the show. Every once in a while, you get to have one of those conversations that fuel, surprise, and delight you. And this is one of those. I couldn't not grab the audio with permission, of course, from Dr. Melissa Bird and her Tiny Bits of Love series to share with you here on the podcast. We had a conversation that taught me things, I think taught her things, and connected dots for both of us in important ways that, um, you know what, I'm just going to let the episode speak for itself. I hope you'll listen. Let me know what you think. Hello, Karin. Hi. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the genius idea. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, kind of just hit me on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so before we dig into that, hitting you on the side of the road, would you please tell my lovely audience who you are, what you do? I'm Karen Gillen, and I am a coach. For a long time, I was a business coach, and I still do some of that. Um, I think of it more like mentoring at this point. Uh, and what I am leaning into is being a coach, life coach, and thought partner for people with really big work to do in the world who have a lot of power. Um, So I love conversations about power. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. How delightful. Yeah. Uh, Before we went live, we were discussing our amazing mugs because your mug is so beautiful. And since it is a morning. This is Polish pottery. So beautiful. Mine is the Dirty Bird mug. So we've got the Andy and Cock of the Rock, the Blue Foot of Booby, an all-time favorite. But I really <laughs> like the Red-Billed Oxpecker too. It's nice. Love birds. They're Dr. Right. Bird. Dr. Bird. Uh, Karen, thank you so much for being here with me today. Um, I always love chatting with you. It always brings me such joy and happiness. And I would really love to start this conversation um, Telling me a little bit, uh, telling our my viewers a little bit and talking about how this all came about. So for those of you that have been watching the Tiny Bits of Love series, um, I have referenced Karin often because we had this beautiful conversation uh, based on you seeing the homeless people on the side of the road when you're coming to bring the coffee. So will you talk a little bit about what struck you about seeing those homeless folks and what happened? Yeah. I feel like there's two, there's one thing that's been with me all of this weekend too, and really all of the last two, three years Mm -hmm. is the statement that I keep hearing, which is, this is not who we are. And my belief that this is who we are and that the pain that you see and the lack of support that you see and the fighting that you see and the hatred and the fear that you see that this is who we are. Yes. So let's start there. (laughs) Yeah. Right. 
until, until we can see ourselves where we are, we cannot change a thing. This is coaching. If you can't get on board with that, you cannot coach Mm -hmm. because self-awareness is the first key. And if we keep pushing the truth away, we don't get to change. And I want us to, and we need to, and change is afoot. So let's just get on board. So the reason that is important is because I had that thought, this isn't who we are, (laughs) followed very quickly by the thought, this is who we are. When I was driving into the small but mighty town of Corvallis, Oregon, who has a very strong community, a very strong downtown association, really strong community values, has a lot of beliefs about who they are. I have lived there. I've been a part of that community. I love that community. I'm rolling into town and in the median is a bunch of houseless folks living in tents, walking around, living their lives in the median on the edge of the river, beautiful river, great space, great space, except for the cars going by. Um, and I, I had that thought, this is not who we are. And then the thought, oh, this is exactly who we are. Shortly after that, followed by the thought, oh, this is trickle-down economics. And I will not call myself an expert by any means, but I just had this knowing like, oh, this is trickle-down economics. Followed right after that by the thought, oh, this is what happens when you run your country like a multi-level marketing business. This is what happens when we make sure that everyone at the top keeps having more and we keep making the people at the quote unquote bottom having to hustle and work for not much, if anything, if maybe nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the thing that struck me. And and we ended up getting into this beautiful conversation about love, which we're going to get to in a minute. But like, we really started talking about this idea that and, and what I love is that you're not an expert in economics because I don't think I don't know anything able. about most of the things I'm talking about, but I can feel it in my body. Right. And, and when, when we're not experts in it, but we talk about it from a space of feeling, that's how we start to connect mm-hmm. all of these things to the collective, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you start, when you, when you are an expert in economics, it's very hard to talk about these things at a human level, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, because economists are really smart, by the way, and they talk and I'm all so cool. Their brains are so cool. I know. It's incredible how they like their synapses work. I'm like, wow. Yeah. But I think that thinking about this, and I actually brought this up in the, my tiny bits of love interview on uh, Friday with Deb, which Karn, if you haven't seen it, it was amazing. She oh, okay. formerly homeless. Right. And so we were talking about when I mentioned your theory about trickle down economics and, and she was like, it's totally true. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And it just resonated so deeply with her as a formerly homeless person. And I just think, and, and then what, what happened is that we started talking about engaging with love mm-hmm. and we started thinking about what would happen. How could people be changed if we started engaging with love. And so that's actually my first question for you, my friend. Like, how do you think that this could change? Things could change. We could start acknowledging that this is exactly who we are. Yeah. How can people be changed by engaging with love? We'll start with that one. If I can hold the space for the thought, this is who we are. This is our collective. This is the result of our collective beliefs and actions. 
can I love myself there? I can. I know you can, Mm -hmm. right? Like I can hold, and this is what I know to be true for all of us humans, probably animals too. I just don't talk to them often is I can hold two great truths at the same time. And we have to understand our capability to do that. We don't have to understand it, actually. We just have to allow for it. So I can hold the truth that I am a beautiful human being on a struggling planet that needs to show up differently for humanity so that we can change. I can... I can know that that's all true. And I can also understand how hard it is for me to drive down the street and see people who don't have homes, whatever the reason, like I can hold all that and still love myself. But I think we have to figure out how do I human in a world that feels so painful when I really let it in at first. Yeah, that's it. Like we can't, we can't waste the energy that we need to be our own human on being afraid for what other people are doing, being angry at what other people are doing, being sad about what other people are doing, um, trying to pour ourselves into another person's certainty to try to feel safe. We have to figure out how do I walk through the world that is super painful, super beautiful, super hateful, so scared, damn near on fire. How do I do that? How do I walk through that world and still be a human being? I think one of the, one of the things ahead. that has really helped me walk through the world and have this human experience is I, I, I used to say the earth was dying. Like I was like, we're killing the planet. We're terrible people. It's all going to shit. Right. Like, and then one of my friends, Lou was like, we're not killing the earth. Like, what are you talking about? Like she is taking care of herself. However, she has to. Right. And she will continue to do so however she has to. And I was like, no matter what that means for you, right. No matter what that means for us as human beings, Mm -hmm. she's going to figure it all. She's got, she knows what she's doing. Right. And I was like, Oh, she's a (laughs) self-cleaning machine. (laughs) She is a self-cleaning machine. And you know, you can only rape and pillage a woman before so long before she's like, I'm done. Yeah. And the mother earth is done. And the other thing that has really helped me is that I've started really connecting to this idea that we are animals. We are part of the earth. As human beings, we are despite the earth. We are invasive species too. We (laughs) We are part of this web of life. And when I think about that, I'm like, oh, oh, I'm a part of this. Yeah. I am not separate and above it. I'm a human animal having a human experience on a floating self-cleaning machine in the sky. Yeah. How do I want to be here now? <laughs> yeah. And how do I want to be present right this moment in my life? Right. Yeah. 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 So good. Um, one of the questions that I've been asking everyone in this series, because I think this, and this, I think goes to how do I want to be here now? is um, I was talking to my friend Stephanie Zong one day and uh, she's a writer and she does, um, she helps people tell stories of her. And one of the things we were talking about is what is the pain that grew you the most? I thought, oh, what a profound question. Grief. 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 Tell us why. 
I've had this piece of writing floating in my head. I haven't actually written it down yet for a while. And it's about just the felt, the emotional experience of grief. And it's like, it always starts and ends with love. It's like, right. I don't get to grieve if I have not loved. So for me, it's like love, anger, sadness, sorrow, love, like, but love is the thing that in any experience of grief, love is the thing that's like the, the paint, like gets just splattered on it. And like, it's everywhere. And then there's all these other things that float around in between it, but it starts and ends with love. Oh, I cannot wait to read that piece, my friend. Yeah. And I think, I think what's so profound about that is we've been in this collective grief cycle for years now, collectively. Mm-hmm. Like the earth was like, I'm going to put y'all in the timeout. Let's <laughs> see how well you handle that little timeout, right? Mm-hmm. Like mama's done. Let's just see what happens if I throw y'all down for, you know, a couple months. Let's see how well you operate in your timeout. And I, that's why I keep going back. I have found such profound love in the depths of this process. And over the last, since 2020 started, the amount of love and grief that I have simultaneously experienced, speaking of holding space for two things. The most painful love. So beautiful. And so opening. And so it's just been such a beautiful catalyst. For this is who we are. Yeah. This is who we are. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's so beautiful. I I really think we need to talk about grief more. Uh, Yeah. This came up when I interviewed you on my podcast too. This was a part of our conversation there. Clearly, this is important to us. (laughs) It must be. Yeah. I think we have to talk about grief more. We do. We do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a total annihilation. I don't think we would have it any other way. No, I don't think so. And you have to have known love to, to experience loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. So what if we all listened to our mother earth? What would happen if, do you think if we all started listening to her? Well, I think what, if you allow yourself to be an animal as a part of the whole process, it could start, it could be as easy as like, if I just listen to my body, there's probably a lot of answers that serve the whole. Talk a little bit about that, my friend. Like if we start listening to our bodies, how do we serve the collective? So if I am really good at ignoring my own pod, my body, I'm probably having, I'm developing skills to ignore earth, humanity, politics, can't talk. I'm developing skills to ignore anything, right? I'm getting better at ignoring. But if I am working on tuning in, I'm getting more skilled at being tuned in. Mm. And because we're always walking around with this ability to experience the world through the cellular experience of living in a body and the felt experience of that, then because we're a part of everything, like, I think that would change a lot. I really love that idea about getting more skilled at tuning in. Like if we really started and, and at the time of this recording, I have just recently started to recover from COVID. Yeah. And 
I ended up with this crazy pain in my leg. And I thought I had a blood clot because I have yeah, a blood that's clot. scary. And it was terrifying. And I went to the emergency room because my doctor told me I had to. And I didn't want to go because I do not do the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course they were like, oh, nothing's wrong with you. See you later. You're not dying. And I'm like, no, something's still wrong with me because I still can't walk and my knee still hurts and it's still puffed up. Mm-hmm. And it was this profound experience where I ended up looking at, at my husband and saying, no, something's still wrong with me mm-hmm. because I have started listening to my body. Yeah. And I did not listen to my body for a very, 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 very long time. And it's incredible what happens when you start connecting to the collective, listening to the earth, connecting to your body. It's all, all of a sudden, it's not as scary as you think it's going to be. It's radical, but it's not scary. It is radical. That's radical love right there. Right. And there's so many things about being a human and a, and a female bodied person growing up where we were really asked to tune out, yeah. right? Like to be a really good woman, you do not care for your body or understand it or know it. And in fact, you beat it into submission. Right. Cause you gotta be like a different shape, different size, different weight, different color. You gotta tan, you gotta stay really light skinned. You gotta bleach your hair. You gotta have like whatever the thing is. Yeah. Right. And so if we're really good at all that, then it's harder to tune into our body. Yeah. Right. Unless you've done it from a place of total joy and fun and like costuming, which I've seen people do and it's so amazing, yeah. but like, I don't ha- I'm not into costuming. So I like, I'm like, I like my gray hair. I like to look how I look. I'm good. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just really such a fascinating idea that, um, To me, it seems like when we don't listen to our body and we don't realize that we can hold two profoundly big things at the same time, mm-hmm. big thoughts, big feelings, big ideas, big love, time, big love, mm-hmm. that we're denying our spiritual connection to something that's larger than we are. Yeah. And uh, this has been one of my favorite questions I've asked on this whole series because the answers have been so different and the same. same (laughs) Human truths. Yeah. Human truths. So what happens when we deny our spiritual connection to the divine, whether you call it spirit or source or the universe or God? We we lose the thing we're looking for. What are we looking for? Self-connection, joy, love, peace. So why do you Alignment. think people, people have broken away from a spiritual connection to something bigger than they are? Fear. I mean, when I, if I always boil everything down, I prefer bottom lining. So we're either coming from love or we're coming from fear. Mm-hmm. And if you are in any way taking yourself out of the game, taking the world out of the game, taking another human out of their game, you are not coming from love. You're coming from fear. Ooh, say more about that. So if I can hold space for you to be a beautiful human being who at times lives on the street, who at other times does drugs, who at other times steals stuff, like 
I need to be able to love you there too. Like I can need to be able to react and respond to what's happening with me and with you from a place of love. If I do it from fear, we're never going to get anywhere good. Mm -hmm. Fear, fear puts up border walls, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, what are you going to, what are you going to do? You're going to wall off nature. We can't do that. Yeah. Woo! We are nature. Yeah. If we are nature, we're a part of the big beast. We cannot wall each other off. We have to welcome everybody in. What if borders didn't exist at all? Oh, girl. And I wonder if exploding my head. <laughs> I wonder if they're helpful. What if there were places where people existed and then there were people who were meant to care for the people in the places where they exist on some like guiding line, maybe the lines that already exist, but the it wasn't, let's keep these people out and these people in. It was, let's care for the people who are here right now. And if I did that, and then they did that over there, and then they did that over there, would the whole world be better? Why do we like, why do we worry about keeping some in and some out? What if we just let the animals roam? (laughs) You know, what's so incredible about what you're saying is, is it is, it's stitching together with, um, my friend Gail Woodside uh, was talking about, uh, she was doing a presentation during the Lent. We did a anti-racism um, doctrine of discovery conversation with my church, which was amazing. Nice. And Gail was talking about the doctrine of discovery and that that was the document that was used not only to start our constitution, but also to decimate indigenous populations right. around the world by the Catholic church. And so, but one of the things she said was, in indigenous language, there's no word for wilderness. Because we are the wilderness. Because we're everywhere. Yeah. Renee Brown's quote too. Yeah. I am the wilderness. I am the wilderness, right? Like there is no word for wilderness in indigenous languages. That speaks volumes. And yet here we, and at the time she was talking about it, of course, it's 40 days in the wilderness during the Lenten season, because that's what Jesus went off and did. Right. And I was like, I mean, so many things started knitting together and you saying you cannot put walls around nature. And I'm thinking of my clients and the people that I work with and the work that I've been doing most recently with my clients, like that is the struggle that they are, they are trying to. I have done this. I had a beautiful fortress around myself at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you fortress up that fortress around yourself, you block yourself off like Renee Brown talks about, right? When you block yourself up from fear and anger and all those things we're not supposed to feel, you also block yourself from love and connection and all of the things that are naturally occurring processes in the world. Brilliant. Yeah. Girl, that was worth the price of admission. That was like the mic drop of the century right there. I cannot wait to noodle that all week. Oh, it's going to be good. And the thing that has to come with it all is self-trust. Because if we've eroded our trust with ourselves and we aren't working on building that back up, like being out in the world all about love without self-trust, I don't think has the same impact. I don't think it does either. You know, we talk about self-love. We talk about self-care, which is the bane of my existence. We talk about self-care. Hello, tool of the patriarchy. Um, Because you know what? You can't ever do it right. You can't ever do self-care right. It's just, you're doomed. doomed It's like balance. There's no such thing. (laughs) No such thing as balance. And as a Libra, I appreciate that. Uh, Thanks for bringing that up. Um, But self-trust, we never talk about self-trust. 
I talk about it all the time in my coaching. Right. But like generally on a whole, as a collective, we do not talk about self-trust. Tell me more about how people can start to engage in self-trust. Well, first, I like to think about why we've disengaged with it. Mm -hmm. So if I am in fear, something that will make me have some false safety is certainty. And in order to live in a world where other people are creating my certainty, I'm buying my certainty from others so that I can feel these hits of safety and calm for myself. Then I'm, I'm eroding my own self-trust. If I'm having the feeling like, and I think about churches in this way, because I think churches did a lot to create safety historically. Like we're going to gather this group of people together. We're going to tell them what's safe and what's not safe. We're going to work the calendar. We're going to do all the things. So there's this place where you can go and then they keep you safe and there's doctrine and there's the things of certainty. And then I get to go there and be like, whew, I'm okay. Someone's got me. I'm good. There's rules. We're safe. Yeah. Right. But that means I, if I am in a situation like that and I have decided to outsource my certainty and my power to somebody else, that means I'm taking away from my own relationship to my own body and my trust of, of what's going on. So what I want to do is in the moments where I have a feeling that something isn't my way, can I stick with myself there? If the church says this, but I feel it differently and the difference I feel still feels like truth. Can I stick with myself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that because I think church is magic. So like I was terrified to go into church. And then when I started going to church in 2018, I think it was 2017, something, I don't remember anymore now. But when I started going into church, I thought for sure I was going to set on fire right away. Like something was going to come down and like the lightning bolt was going to come down and I was going to set on fire the minute I walked into that sanctuary. But what happened is I walked in and I cried. So like three months, every Sunday, I just like ugly sobbed in church. Like people were staring they're like, like so, I don't want the God she has. Yeah. It was like, I was coming home and I was like in it. And I was like, what is happening to me? Like nobody was more shocked than me that I was like, Jesus. And everyone's like, I mean, my own husband was like, what is happening? And I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But what I love about what you just said is I don't think church is certain. Right. I think, I, I think the Bible is mysticism and alchemy and wonder and magic and, and like all these incredible stories and, and things that make things possible and make me think differently. And, and I, paradoxes I, and paradoxes and all these, Oh my God, it's so beautiful. And when did church become certainty? And, and is that part of why we deny our spiritual connection to the divine? Because none of us feel certain about anything. Yeah. And the teaching that certainty that we should feel certain is the, I think the scariest part and it just depends on where you are. Right. Yeah. I was listening to, um, <clears throat> unlocking us. Brene Brown had Richard Rohr on. Have you read any of his? Books? Oh God. Yes. That man. Woo! Yeah. And he, I, I just was like, Oh, I, <laughs> the way he's talking to me, I am a spiritual being like, yeah. Right. You hear some people and you're like, whatever you have, I don't, uh, that's not what I'm doing, but what he has is what I'm doing. One of my most favorite books of his is called, how do we read the Bible? And it's a little teeny, skinny little book 
that's so small. And I read that book and I was like, whoa, whoa. In fact, I need to read it again because it is so Richard Rohr. For those of you that don't know, I will actually put a link in the comments to Richard Rohr so that people can go and check him out. I'm going to go buy all of his books and slowly. Go buy all of his books and then we'll have a book club and it'll be (laughs) awesome. I really wanted to go right when the pandemic was starting. I was going to go to one of his um, seminars, um, but the pandemic, we ever, it got canceled. Yeah. God, I would love to sit in a room with him. Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, two other questions for you, darling. Okay. What are you holding space for right now? Mm. Feels hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding space. For it to be easy. I like I have <laughs> I have um uh, conflated two things. If I do all this work, then I am successful. But what's true is I am successful. I've also been doing all this work. Those two things not necessarily related. So I'm like, well, what like who am I without the hus- the the work? I'm not really hustling anymore. But who am I without that effort and what changes and and I've been like, like when you're standing at a really big pool and you can just jump right in. I've been standing at the edge, looking at it for long enough where I'm kind of annoyed that I haven't jumped in yet. So I'm jumping in. This is the conversation I constantly have with my clients. They're mm-hmm. like, but it's hard. And I'm like, what if you let it be easy? And they're like, mm-hmm. huh? me too, which is why I'm struggling. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, listen, I'm not saying it's not complicated. I think we've convoluted the word hard. And listen, I appreciate the, the, you know, the thing that we can do hard things. I appreciate that. And I love to work hard. Like I love working hard and it's like kind of getting in my way. Yeah. Because we've conflated hard with complicated and sometimes difficult. And maybe even there's some barriers. Mm -hmm. Right. But if we allow ease to go, and curiosity, this is my big mm-hmm. thing that is just really coming to me constantly is what if we wondered what our day was going to be like instead of trying to predict it? So like, what if instead of looking at the calendar going, I have this, this, and this, and this, this today, and how can I fill in those holes that are free of nothing, right? I wonder what I'm going to experience when I talk to Karin for this interview. I wonder what my life is going to be like today. Little kids do that, right? Like that's how you grow self-trust. Yeah. Right. Like I'm curious what my day is going to look like. I wonder how it's going to all unfold. Little kids do that all the time. They're like, I wonder what I'm going to do at school today. I wonder what's going to happen to me today. I wonder what the, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Right? Like Mm -hmm. wonder. And I really think that that you are right. This is the leading into trusting ourselves that when something feels hard, what if it was just a puzzle that we get to put apart and put back together? What if what if it was just a puzzle and it was complicated but it wasn't insurmountable? And, the- and we ease through that amount of energy it takes to build the puzzle one way is the exact same amount of energy it takes to build it the other way. Yeah. So like. And why not be curious about that and ease into it instead of thinking it's hard. Mm -hmm. Boom. Good. Good. Juicy stuff. The other question that I've been asking everyone is the idea of what role does humanization. So I think a lot of what we talked about 
initially on my couch, we're having coffee is this idea that we look at the homeless population or people who are using um, like Medicaid and welfare services and free school lunch and all the things, Mm -hmm. right? Like we look at those people, people who can't get a job, right? Like people who don't own a home, we still do this. We still shame Mm -hmm. homeowners, even though people who rent, even though it's like next to impossible to get a home. And we dehumanize people because it makes us feel better, right? So what do you think the role of humanizing people plays in the work of healing? It's like the, it's the ether that all the work happens in. Like in a world where we don't human people, what good is anything else? Like if we're not going to look like this and this happened when I had my daughter who turned seven tomorrow, I had her in the car, in the car seat. And all of a sudden I stopped stopping for everybody to cross the street. The houseless addict didn't matter. Right. We got everybody crossing all the streets all the time. I'm stopping. And, And my thought in my head is always that was somebody's baby. And so I actually still do that unless I try to stop too late and it looks awkward, then I just roll on. But yeah, every single person was somebody's baby. Every single person was like, if, you know, I think, I don't think we die alone. I don't think we're born alone. Even if we're born in a place where people weren't ready for us, like we came here on purpose and we were never alone. And there's always love for a human being. Doesn't mean it looks easy. Nope. It's complicated, isn't it? And I think it's the people who are hardest to love. It's because it's the most confronting to us. And that's bringing our own energy into it and our selfishness about how I want to live my life and the amount of ease I want to have in my days and how I want to feel all the time. Mm-hmm. But that's about me still. It's not about them. Yeah. Mm. So beautiful. Uh, my very last, just kidding, there's one more. My little last surprise question that I have loved asking everybody because the, the answer has been so diverse. If you could have anything to eat right now, what would you eat? Just ate breakfast. So I think the only thing I would want right now is dark chocolate. Lovely. What's your favorite kind? Mm, I like green and blacks or Theo. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Delightful. Thank you so much for being with me today, my friend. Yeah, it's great to see you. It's great to see you too. This is a beautiful conversation. I really appreciate it. I'm walking away with so many nuggets of juice. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. For those of you that are watching, remember that you can book a one hour clarifying, magical, clairvoyant, mystical reading with me called Misfit Magic Hour. Go to my website at naturalbornrebel.com and check it out. Karen, thanks again for your time. Love your face. Love you. Thank you for being here for this episode of the podcast. And before you go, I want to check in and see if you're a coach and you'd like to have a little fun making the next 10K in your business. If that's you, I've got just the thing. My course, Lead Your Profit, is everything in my business brain for coaches, all in one place, organized so that you can utilize it in an easy way to go make your next 10K. So if that sounds good, just go to the show notes. Link is in the comments. 
It's also accessible on my website. I hope you go grab that for yourself. I love it and I'd love for you to have it. It's only $197.